This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the Kings Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunes. Got Rich Ivanowski on here, as we always do. How you doing, Rich? Oh, I'm doing all right, man. Um, hmm. Things are pretty grim in Sacramento right now, but, uh, you know, it's not the end of the world. Um, Kings are 0-3, but I think we expected them to be maybe 1-2. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you know, I think we really, we wanted to win that Phoenix game, thought that the Kings should have, uh, but Portland and Utah are, are two tough opponents. So when you put it like that, it, it is, they're not far off from what, could have been expected and really going uh going 500 was was a, considered a successful season for you and that's still not out of the realm of possibility at all but it's the fashion that they're losing these games in um completely yeah. it's still those turnovers that we're seeing in phoenix that we saw in the first phoenix game uh the guys, I, I want to say they don't look comfortable together, but it's also just bonehead mistakes passing to where there is absolutely nobody. Deadman specifically has had some really questionable passes and finishes. He's just looked so off, uh, weirdly. But maybe maybe we can start with this with the Portland game. And you were there, Rich. What were some of your what were some of your takeaways from that Portland game? So the Portland game felt like it was started off okay. Um, Buddy Heald couldn't get it going, but the rest of the team seemed to be playing okay. And I'm talking about the first half here. And in that way, it felt kind of like the reverse of the Phoenix game where the team was playing sloppy, but Buddy Heald was there to save the day. Um, And at least to start off, it was the opposite of that. Uh, but he was missing shots. I think he was 0 for 4 to start it off. But, um, you know, the team was in it. The team was in it. I believe, yeah, so the uh, first half ended at a tie, uh, 57-57. And, um, you know, the fans were happy to be there. It was opening night at Golden 1 Center. The vibe was good. The energy was good. Everyone knew that they had just gotten a little bit embarrassed in Phoenix. But I'll say that hopes were pretty high in the first half. Was there anything that you saw in the first half that was encouraging to you? Um, yeah, I thought that they, they kept up really. Um, it was, 
it, it was good and watchable basketball, which we can't say for uh, much of the other games. But, yeah, I mean, they shot 19 threes in the first half, which was, which was encouraging. That was kind of on pace for where they wanted to be at there. And, yeah, I, I thought that the guys played decently. Bogdanovich had a very good first half. He had 13 points in that half on three of three from deep. Getting him going early was nice to see. And Buddy and Fox as well. And I thought that the spacing was was promising with Bielitsa and Deadman out there, even though Deadman wasn't shooting great. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was – there wasn't anything that crazy stood out in that first half. But they played they played decent basketball and kept up with Portland there. Um, also, Lillard didn't seem to be very on. Same with McCollum. Like you, you just knew that at some point they were going to start hitting a few more shots. I think. And yeah, and then the third quarter hit and it fell apart the same way that it did in Phoenix. Absolutely. This is what's, this is, you know, the story of the season so far is that the second half Kings or more importantly, the the third quarter Kings are absolutely getting taken out behind the shed. It is a real situation. Um, they got down 10 in the third quarter. Um, I don't, man, I should have gone back and looked at the third quarter numbers for Phoenix and Utah as well, but um, so it's safe to say they've lost every third quarter so far. Yeah, um, I, it's, I, it's, I have it here. In third quarter for Sacramento Phoenix, Sacramento had 17 points. Phoenix had 32. Third quarter man. for Portland, uh, Sacramento had 27. Portland had 37. And for Utah, uh, Sacramento had 17 and Utah had 27. Yeah, so at least a 10-point deficit in each third quarter so far. Yeah, I mean, it really takes the wind out of the sails, too. And I think that you spoke to that, saying that the team feels, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it feels like they, I mean, their body language in the third quarter and then subsequently the fourth quarter of each game has been really bad. Definitely, definitely. Corey Joseph is a guy that gets frustrated with them a lot. We saw it game one. And I'm glad, you know, there's somebody that needs to be holding these guys accountable, which doesn't seem like it's really happening. Um, but yeah, guys just, they, they don't, they obviously wanted to come into this season winning games and being competitive. And just, it, it feels like when they start to turn the ball over, which happens often, that they also stop passing the ball because they're almost worried to turn it over and then they're dribbling like crazy not getting good opportunities because there was one play in the Portland game I think in the first half where Buddy got a wide open three in the corner but Bogey was pretty hot and Buddy passed up the wide open corner three and gave it to Bogey and he got fouled for three Um, so like little things like that like making the extra pass stops happening when they get all of these turnovers yeah you know, I actually looked up the number of passes per game for the Kings so far, and they are second to last in the league in just passes attempted. And, yeah, that's not a good sign for, you know, a healthy offense moves the ball. Um, they passed a little bit over 290 times last season per game, and they're down around 200. Um, they were sub 200 in their first two games. So, 
I mean, we're talking about 50%, you know, uh, uh, or I guess um, one third less of passes per game. Like that's pretty substantial. 50% more passes last year than what we're seeing right now. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there was a point, I believe it was in the third quarter where Sacramento started to, or Portland started to really create a little bit of a gap on the scoreboard and De'Aaron Fox took it all upon himself. He went, he got to the line a great amount of times, was just driving past people and doing everything by himself. And that was uh, nice to see, but also, I, I mean, yeah, you need your star player to do that at times, and it's good to see that he was able to, but there was no help from anybody else at that point. Like, Fox had to do that at times, and they still lost a quarter by 10 points. Yeah, um, there were runs. I mean, they were kind of trading off runs. You know, the runs for Portland seemed to do a lot better. They they seemed to be longer runs and more effective runs, but the Kings would bring it back. I mean, they kept bringing it back. There was... Um, a point where they brought it back to a one-point game uh, late in the third, uh, or excuse me, early in the fourth, and then Portland just ran it right back and turned it into a 16-point game really in a matter of minutes. Yeah, and then the fourth quarter, um, every time you got maybe a slight bit of hope, Damian Lillard would just dagger after dagger from nearly the logo. He was It was lights out in that fourth quarter. We really got a taste of Lillard time. Yeah, Dame time. Um, Dame set match, right? It's, uh, yeah, it <laughs> absolutely, like, he really did. Uh, I mean, he dropped a couple in just, like, late, it, where it still felt like, you know, there's a chance that at least it was going to be fun to watch until the very, very end. But, yeah, he dropped a couple in there, maybe five minutes left, and it was like, all right, well, you know, we're going to stay here and support our guys, but um, – you know, you could, you, they took the air out of, out of the room in Golden 1 Center, to be sure. Yeah, Lillard had 13 points in five, almost six minutes on the floor and didn't miss a single shot. Um, three for three from deep, four for four from the field, two free throw attempts, only one turnover. Yeah, but that felt like the best game because the Utah game was was rough man it was not fun to be there for that I guess first was there any uh any notes that you had from from the locker room after the the first home loss against Portland yeah um the first thing that I well, the, the main thing that I think um I pulled out of it was Bog, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich I don't know uh, I don't really want to honor these rumors so much but there were rumors circulating online that uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich was not happy with uh, a six-man role, not happy coming off the bench. Um, they, you know, they originated from a podcast, uh, Brian Windhorst podcast, I believe it was, with Tim McMenamin, uh, uh, I think is how you say it. Anyway, a couple of East Coast guys that definitely are not plugged in with the Kings necessarily. And uh, they were speculating that, you know, they've been hearing quote unquote rumblings that Bogdan <clears throat> would not be happy, excuse me, <clears throat> would not be happy coming off the bench um, for much longer. And that was uh, aggregated and 
speculated further upon by Dan Feldman of NBC Sports. So that was out there, and I don't think that anyone is really giving it too much weight or credit, but hey, that report's out there, so I figured I would ask Bogdan about that, see if, you know, if he, if, if that was coming from him or if he even had heard of it. Um, turns out he did not. He has not even heard of it. He was genuinely confused by when that report was relayed to him. He thought it was ridiculous. You know, he says that people talk and, you know, he doesn't listen. He doesn't like to be on social media. doesn't like to be, you know, following the media in general when he is playing that day or that night or that weekend. He wants to stay in his zone and he dismissed it completely. And he said, listen, I'm happy to be in the NBA. Like that's what matters. I, I have, I have, you know, I don't know how someone could call me unhappy right now. It's ridiculous. So um, at least that's a, that's a positive, right? It is. Yeah. Like you said, I didn't buy too much into, into those rumors that were floating about, but that is good to hear because, you know, it could be understanding that he's a starting level guy, but it, it, glad to hear the bogey's happy in the role that he has. He still has uh, a chance to make a major impact on this team every single night. And he's he's played okay some of these games. He's been a little bit streaky, but that definitely is great to hear. You know, we want to keep Bogdan around. Everyone except Tim Maxwell, apparently. Right, yeah, I saw him on Twitter again <laughs> doing his thing. But no, yeah, I would say like, you know, the first game in Phoenix, Bogey played like really bad. Like truly it was it was an awful game for him. But since then he might be he might be playing the best of any king, maybe up there with Darren Fox. Yeah, in that first game in Phoenix, he had a bad little stretch. I think it was six minutes or so, eight minutes, and then didn't get play after that for a while. So it's almost like he didn't get an opportunity to um to kind of make up for some missed shots, some bad takes, dribbling a little bit too much. But I, I agree. I thought that he's played decent since then. Um, and maybe we can move on to this Utah game, which was not much fun to be at. Um, the first quarter started okay in a way. Um, I, I liked what I saw on the floor, but Utah was hitting every single shot. They were lights out early. Um, they ended the quarter six of nine from three. We're hitting everything there, specifically Bojan Bogdanovich had 12 points in that quarter himself. Um, but I liked the defense a little bit more. I thought especially the help defense, like Deadman was doing a good job, job of dropping. They were, they were yeah. tag, tagging correctly. I, I liked what I saw defensively in that first quarter. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that the first quarter, most of these games have gone pretty well. Um, and Deadman... Deadman's taking a lot of heat right now, and I think that's probably rightfully so because he is just throwing the ball out of bounds when like every five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, when the ball's not in his hands, I think he's playing pretty well. I, I think he had a really strong start to this game defensively. Um, I know that uh, you know that uh, Grant and Doug were talking about him as looking good out there, and. He did. He looks good to me on the defensive side of things. But, but yeah, I mean, you mentioned it early on in this podcast, and I, I think that that's kind of one of the main talking points right now is that this team is turning the ball over at an alarming rate. Uh, I'll just drop some numbers here. They are uh, 26th in the league with turnovers per game, uh, just under 21 there. 
And they are on the flip side of that, 29th with an assist, only 16 assists per game, which gives them an assist to turnover ratio of 0.8, which is dead last. Are you currently paying off student debt? Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Yeah, and that's just, it's very clear in their play. Um, it, it's not its not enjoyable to watch. And a lot of these are just bonehead mistakes. Like, I don't know how else to call it. Like, like you said, Deadman, like, passing it to a guy right as he's making a cut in a different direction or just straight up passing to a guy that is standing in place but can't make the pass. Yeah, no, this is – it's crazy. Like some of these passes are – I know what you're saying with the cuts like that's happened once or twice, but sometimes the guy is fully stationary and Deadman just passes it like three feet behind him, three feet beyond his reach. Yeah, I, I don't understand it. It's crazy. Like, that's not – I, I want to say that he just doesn't look comfortable with the new guys or things like that. But, no, those are basic basketball plays that Deadman should be able to and has been able to make before. Um, I don't expect that to keep up. Like, there's a reason that I think we were both really high on Deadman coming to this team. I do think he's a good fit. But there is a lot of questions with those turnovers going on right now. Um, and you pointed it out in the first game and I didn't see it as much, but you, you had a, a good catch on it that the, that the pace really seemed slower. There was a play specifically at the Utah game where the Kings got a defensive rebound, got the ball into Aaron Fox's hands and had numbers while he was at half court and he was jogging it up the floor and just little things like that where it's like, why is this happening? Why are you not running it down their throat? especially against Utah and Rudy Gobert, which is how you really nullify Gobert's talents, is making him run. It's just the pace has not been there at all. And like you can argue that it needs to come from getting stops, but we talked about it that they were – that the Kings were doing it last year off of made baskets, and that's just not happening in the slightest. Yeah, so it's interesting because, so technically speaking, their pace is higher this season than it was last season, technically speaking, from the the stat of pace, like the number of possessions per game. However, you know, that's, that's one measurement, and it's, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't truly ref- reflect uh, speed of play, right? So there's a few things here, and this came out of a conversation I was having with uh, touchdown Al on Twitter, who's a, a really good guy with numbers in, in uh, Kings Twitter. You know, he pointed this out that their pace is higher than it was last year. But there's a ton of caveats to that because, first of all, their pace is higher than it was across the full season last year. But as the season goes on, guys get tired out and the pace generally slows. Like, 
you look at the first three games of the first month or what have you, and the pace is going to be higher than it is across a full season period. So when you compare the pace of the first three games to the, the pace of the first three games last season, it is way slower this year. Um, it is right now it's 104 possessions per game. And across three games last year was 110. And that 110 mark from last season was first in the league. The 104 mark right now is 15th. So in terms of relative pace, they dropped from the fastest team in the league to league average. Yeah, I think that's a good get. And also, I I mean, it feels like they should be lower than that. And I think that you get more possessions in a game, obviously, when you're turning the ball over an insane amount and the other team's possessions are very short. That's a that's an absolutely great point. It's one that um, Touchdown Al said as well. Like that, that's how you you want to create more possessions in a game. Throw terrible passes, and also like if you just you don't need to be moving fast to have a high pace in terms of that metric because you can just walk the ball up the court and then launch a terrible shot with 19 seconds left in the shot clock. Like you've technically had a quick possession. You know what I mean? Yeah, technically, you know, it'll go into the stat. Um, what do you think of this Walton quote? And this is coming from a Jason Jones article post Utah that, uh, part of it is we're turning it over so much right now that I'm not emphasizing the pace as much as I will when you can clean some of that up. I don't know what to make of that because I felt like the pace wasn't high to begin with. Like he's kind of, he's saying that, that he's slowing the pace down to limit turnovers, but I felt like he was slow. He the pace was already slow to begin with. I mean, am I, is that does that sound off? Yeah, no, I think that sounds right, and I think he's also saying that he's focusing on other things rather than saying, "Okay, let's just push." Like focusing on the defensive end, and it's like, "Okay, if we don't get a stop, then don't push it," sort of thing. And that's just not that's not the way that this team played. Like, there's a reason that the pace was was the identity of this team and still should be because you have the fastest player in the NBA out there that is great at making decisions with the ball in his hands for himself and other people. Right. We're definitely, definitely, definitely seeing an attempt to make a great transition player into a great half court player. And it's not working. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if it could ever have worked in a three game span, um, that much of a transition, but there's no question that that's what's happening, that Luke Walton is very, very clearly set on improving this team's half-court offense. And I think we did talk about this right after the first game, where that's the emphasis. The emphasis now is on running a half-court offense, and it is scary because it really what what he's done is come in here and taken a team that has a really obvious strength. And he's putting that to the side and saying, we're not going to play to this strength because we're going to develop our weakness. So, you know, that to me is what's happening here is that I think that in the long term, that can make some sense. You know, we need to improve our weaknesses. So we need to play, we need to uh, uh, practice what we're bad at in order to get better at it. I mean, there's some logic to that, but um, what's going to happen is is you're going to suck for a while. 
Yeah, and there needs to be a balance. Like, there's none of the pushing at all. Like, you need. I get that you need to be practicing that, and I do somewhat understand that logic, but not to this extreme. Right, and and especially not for a team that had hopes and aspirations of making the playoffs. You you can't make the playoffs by stopping doing the things that worked um, last year. Right. Yeah, I, I I don't know. This this entire Utah game was rough, aside from that first quarter. And even that first quarter, um, like I mentioned, Utah was hitting all of their shots. But the Kings didn't get their three-point attempts up. They, they only had 11 at the half. Utah had double the amount of three-point attempts there. They ended with um, – is this right that this is 11 total three-point attempts? For the Kings? Yeah. Uh, I see 26. Okay. So 26 in Utah, which is a full 10 below what Walton said that the Kings would be putting up every night. Right. Um, we, it, it was only uh, – uh, it, it was it, – okay, so in, in the first game, it was well below I – I think it was like 29 or something. It was well below the, the, the number of 36 that Walton had said he wants to get to. He did clear that number – at home against the Trailblazers, they put up 37. But in general, they, you know, they're one for three in terms of hitting that mark. And that was, I always thought it was really interesting that he put that mark out there so clearly saying, you know, this is a number that we want to hit specifically. So, and then to not do that two out of three times already is, is worrying, especially because maybe the one thing that's working for the Kings right now is their shooting. Yeah, and I think it's difficult to get open threes and good looks from deep when you're not able to pass the ball. <laughs> um, like, the the amount of turnovers, like we're mentioning, is really going to hinder that shooting, but they still could get them up more often. I agree with what you're saying there. Um, yeah, I, they they definitely had opportunities to shoot more of them. I, I like that they are hitting the paint somewhat. But it's really, I feel like it just has to come back to those turnovers that if they were keeping the ball better and able to move it left to right, um, going up and down, hitting the paint and kicking out, that they would get more of these, more of these three point attempts up, which they're hitting at a decent rate. Yeah, they're, they're doing well shooting from three. Um, Buddy Heald's a little bit above 42%. Darren Fox, a little bit above 44%. Harrison Barnes has hit half of all his three-point attempts. Bogey's right around 42%. Um, you know, Beelitz is near 40. So, like, their shooters are shooting and they're, and they're hitting. You – I just – it feels like what's going to happen again is that this team is going to be near the top of the league in terms of three-point percentage, but near the bottom of the league or, or at very best middle of the league in terms of number of attempts. Yeah, I mean, that would definitely surprise me if that ended up happening, especially after putting that number out there where, to be fair, if they were at the 35 mark, they would be at 12th in the league uh, because so many teams are shooting. Wow, so far this year, Milwaukee has an average of 53-point attempts per game. That is insane. But, yeah, they, I, I would be surprised if this number didn't end up getting back up there. Um, and 
the team with the number one three-point percentage right now is who the Sacramento Kings face in their next game, the Denver Nuggets. Is there Where can you see some sort of optimism to have heading into Denver? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know how you expect me to answer that question right now. I don't like, either, to be honest. <laughs> I, I guess I'll start by saying that the Kings' best game this year came at home. Um, against a team that, you know, beat the Nuggets in the playoffs. Like, I don't know. I mean, listen, I'm grasping for straws here. Like, Portland was a very good team last year. is a very good team this year. Denver, you could make an argument that they're in that same, like, tier. You could, you know, you could make the argument that Denver and Portland are not, you know, Denver's not that much better than Portland. And you could say that um, there was a real chance – you know, there was a legitimate chance that the Kings won that game at home. Uh, if it weren't for that run in the fourth quarter uh, where Dame was just lights out, it, this would have been a close – that would have been a close loss. Like this – and let, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's break that down. Like I think that going back to my first observation up top, because it is the, the best way to keep perspective on an 0-3 start, understanding that it's only three games. And so, I mean – the first game should have been a win. The Kings were expected to win, um, but they were only expected to win by a little bit. It, like the margin wasn't that high. It wasn't because it was a home opener in Phoenix. The Kings were just barely favored in that game and they lost. Right. Right. But yeah, that, going, that was the must win or the should win. And then, Yeah. And then going home, they were underdogs and they were expected to lose and they lost. And then going to Utah on a back to back, they were definitely expected to lose. Like, that was always going to be a loss. So it feels like all hope is lost. It feels like they're, they've had three pitiful performances, and to some extent that is true. But they also, like, are only underperforming their expectation by, like, a little bit in terms of wins and losses. I, I mean, is that – I know I'm grasping for straws, but if they had somehow pulled one win out of this – it would be – that would kind of be what, what we had expected. In regards to wins and losses, yes. I think it's just more so that the Kings are losing these games themselves rather than the other teams performing well and winning it. No, you're absolutely right. I, I'm making excuses and I'm trying to put it in perspective. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, I saw Tim Maxwell talking about this and it, he said it's not that – the the Kings are losing. That's not the issue. It's how they're losing. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, this Denver team is not going to be any easier. They're, they're two and zero on the year. I know a lot of people, uh, myself included, I had them as the best regular season record in the Western conference. Um, yeah, maybe you can, in, you can try and attack uh, Jamal Murray with De'Aaron Fox. If it, Jokic is a better defender than what he's given credit for, but if you put him in a pick and roll, there's no way he's keeping up with De'Aaron. Um, and yeah, get get those threes up, but really just play competent basketball. Like it, at least give a hundred percent effort for the entire game, not just 24 minutes. And who knows what happens at halftime? A tiny little note from the Utah game was that the Kings were back on the court after halftime really quickly. And I know that Walton was saying that he kind of wants the guys to stay, stay in their groove and stay warmed up. So maybe that's what that was. 
But after that second quarter in Utah, I was like, man, I hope that they just got chewed out in that locker room. And that's why they're back out here very quickly. Um, but yeah, they, they need to play hard the entire game and just put together 48 minutes of competent basketball. And like you said, in the Portland game, it was a lot better. There, there was promise. It wasn't as ripping your hair out as these other ones. Um, so there's some hope. And then especially if you look at the game after against Charlotte. Yeah, and then they get the Knicks as well. So, I mean, yeah, if they lose at home to Charlotte, then I think that's a real issue. But I'm not expecting a win at home against Denver. Um, are we? Are you? Is your body prepared for 0 and 4 Kings? I am. Oh yeah, especially after that Phoenix loss, I was already ready for 0 and 4. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hey guys, just want to give you a quick reminder that if you like what you're listening to, we'd really appreciate a quick rating and review of the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, we'd love to interact with you. We can take your questions, answer them on the podcast as well. That is at Kings underscore Pulse. We also got an Instagram, Kings underscore Pulse, and we are the official podcast of uh, Reddit r slash Kings. We got a sticky thread on there if you want to ask questions. So we really appreciate it. And and thank you very much for listening. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Um, all right, well, so let me let me ask you this. Um, this is probably going to be a shorter episode, but um, we don't want to... First of all, I'm having technical issues, so I'm, I'm my audio is probably not that great. And secondly... Uh, we don't want to put ourselves too much through the ringer right now when things are grim. We want to talk about positive stuff about the Kings when we can, and there's just not too much to cover. But I want to ask you to identify the problems that the Kings are going through. Put them in order of what you think are the three biggest issues for the Kings right now. One, two, three. And then we'll try to do positive stuff too, but I don't know if we'll get to three. Yeah, um, first is is turnovers, um, just complete lack of communication on the offensive end. And then number two would be checking out in the third quarter um, and really the entire second half of games. And if not the third quarter specifically, just having terrible lapses um, because they have showed some promise. And then hmm, what do I want to go with? Number three here is the pace, is that they're not getting the pace up in the way that they, that what can make this team successful. So that'll be my one, two, three. I said, first I had uh, turnovers. Second will be the lapses that this team has, specifically the third quarter. And the third, I got pace or lack of. I had a, I had a similar thing here. I, I think I kind of combined your one and two. Um, yeah, the turnovers, the ball movement. And I think that includes, for me, that includes lapses in concentration. 
that's the biggest issue for sure. Like this team looks like they haven't they haven't passed the but like they went an entire summer without practicing passing. Like I don't know what happened. Like I, I don't know what's going on there. That's the biggest issue. Number two for me is the pace. You've you can't just ignore the biggest strength of your roster. Like that that cannot continue. And for me, number three, uh I'm gonna say is the rotations, but is specifically Trevor Ariza minutes. I am really concerned with how he is playing and how much he's playing. He's playing a ton of minutes and his, his numbers are, are truly awful. Like he, I mean, his, his BPM is a negative 5.7 already. His PR is 1.4. Like the dude is his, his true shooting percentage is below 30. That is like a stunningly low number. So, and he's the sixth man of his team. It's not Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich is not coming out for the bench. Uh, first, it's Trevor Ariza. And it's really confusing to me. So, I, I don't know. Those are my three. But do you have any positives? Can you get, can you get a list together? Even Let's try, try to get to two things here, of things that are going right for the Kings. Uh, quickly on the Trevor Ariza one, yeah, game one, Bogey was the sixth. Game two against Portland, it was Ariza. And then game three in Utah, I believe Ariza and Bogey came in at the same time. And Ariza did only play like seven and a half minutes in that first half. I thought that he played less in Utah, um, minus that, that second half where the game was practically already over halfway through the third quarter. But he definitely has been at fault for some of these defensive lapses. Like there was a there was a switch in Utah that maybe shouldn't have been a switch, um, where Ariza was just kind of standing there and it looked like he lazily didn't want to chase someone and just pointed at it. And I forget who it was, but another Kings player was clearly upset with him about it. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the Ariza minutes, same way as you. Um in regards to the positives, the first one has to be De'Aaron Fox. I think seeing him be able to take over, he's getting to the line a lot more than he was last year. He's, hit, he's hitting his free throws at a, at a somewhat decent rate. Um, and seeing him be able to take over the game and f- go full star mode is nice, but the other guys need to pick it up. Um, and then the second thing is that there have been five – to eight-minute stretches where there has been some promise to this team, especially on the defensive end. And like I mentioned, I really do think of that first quarter in Utah. I really liked the defense that I saw from the team, despite Utah hitting their shots. Um, but I guess they have showed some promise of what we kind of hoped and expected to see this year. Yeah, um, that's all fair. I'll go shooting number one. We talked about it. Um, and with Darren Fox especially, we forget that Fox was a guy who shot 25% from three in college and 30% from three as a rookie in the NBA. Um, you know, he looks like, like a guy that can really legitimately shoot, you know, 38, 39% from three for the rest of his career. And that is massive. He looks like a star. Yeah, it's not going to look amazing when the rest of his team is playing as badly as they are, but I, I do. I am encouraged by what I see from Fox, um, and especially his shooting and the shooting of everyone on the team is is solid. Secondly, 
Man. Oh, man. Um, I'm going to say that <laughs> I, I think that Rashawn Holmes is playing pretty well. I, he's got two blocks per – 2.2 blocks per 36 minutes. That's a better – much better number than anyone on this team had uh, last year. So there's a potential for some interior defense. Um, Deadman has had a couple nice looking blocks. He's not on the floor that much, which is weird for a starting center that you paid to be your starting center. But there's some upside to the interior defense. It's not going to be amazing, but at least there'll be a little bit of something. And I guess like, man, I guess third, um, Wenyan Gabriel looked pretty decent in his 21 minutes straight last night. You, you were there in Utah <laughs> to see Wenyan Gabriel play 21 consecutive minutes. What did you think of that? Oh, it was just, oh, yeah, it was so engaging gameplay that was going on. Um, no, he, he did look smooth. I, I thought that he's quick out there, and he had a few more moves than I expected to. I think you, uh, you had uploaded what was his best play of the night, and I guess the King's best play of the night, too, as well, was he had a nice spin move and finish in traffic. Um, yeah, he looked, he looked put together out there. He looked like he could eventually see some legitimate NBA minutes, especially with the length he has. He was really confident in his shot and most of his movements. So, yeah, he was, he was promising. I, I'll say I didn't want to see that many minutes of Gabriel, especially that early in the quarter, because that meant things weren't going well. But there's a chance that he does end up breaking meaningful rotation minutes at times this year. Yeah, uh, he had a three. I like the shot. I mean, the shot looks nice. I mean, he was one for four, but that's whatever. It's such a small sample size. It doesn't matter. You know, another one could have easily fallen. And he would have looked like, you know, a 50% shooter. So, yeah, no, I mean, I think he's a solid, I think he's a solid, like, 35% guy from deep. Um, I like what I see out of him. I like the effort. I like that he came in and actually gave effort when the rest of the team was not really. But, yeah, I mean, there's not much to pull away from this. I guess my final question to you is how much of the blame are you placing right now on the players versus the coach? I think that it's probably 60-40 in favor of the players because it's the effort level that we're seeing from these guys. There is there is, you know, maybe some coaching changes that need to be made. You need to get the threes up more. You need to push the pace more often. But the effort from all of these guys hanging their head and not understanding um, each other and the frustration that's clearly there and then checking out, I feel like I have to put more more on the players there because the product that we're seeing on the floor, no matter the system, uh, it, it would not work with the effort we're seeing from some of these guys. And there was a play yesterday uh, where Corey Joseph was diving out of bounds in the third quarter where it was already like a 25 plus point game. And that type of effort is what we need to see from everyone on the floor. Like I, I've liked the effort I've seen from Joseph most of the time. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I'll agree with all those points, uh, and I do like what Joseph's bringing, but yeah, uh, uh, I'm just staring at a bunch of stats right now that are bringing me down, so unless you got anything else. what's uh, Let's go back that. to this panic meter. Where are you at 1 to 10 right now? So I was at 6 before. Uh, that was following the the Suns game, but part of that, half of that was due to Bagley's injury. 
I am, I am still there. I, I'm still there. Um, these are two games that I was not expecting the Kings to win, and they did not win them. So I can't really, I can't really ramp up my panic meter right here because they kind of did what I expected them to do, which was stay in the game with Portland for most of it, but but lose it in the end, and that's what happened. And then I expected them to get absolutely smashed on a road back-to-back with a flight in the middle of it at, you know, one of the best defenses in the league. Um, yeah, so I, I'm not willing to, to go up above six, but – and I'll also say, yeah, I mean, if they lose, if they lose tonight in Denver, I'm not willing to go above six. I'm if they lose to Charlotte at home, we can go ahead and just jack that up to like nine. But <laughs> but for now, I'm I'm at a six. Yeah, I was at a four, and uh, that was me hoping that Phoenix would be a slap in the face to them, and they'd come out um, and have great effort, potentially stealing a game against Portland. Um, yeah, that did not happen, and seeing the same trends of the Kings effort completely disappearing uh, lapses on both ends, the third quarters being horrific, starting to see some trends here, give it uh, given it only being three games, but still starting to see those has ramped me up from four to uh, the same place that you're at. Uh, I'll go with a six, maybe six and a half. Um, and let's just say, I hope that the panic meter does not become a regular segment on this podcast. No, for sure. And a win tonight uh, against Denver would would pretty much take it out of the the podcast. And honestly, I'll say that they could lose but play well and like you know limit their turnovers to maybe you know maybe twelve or less. And I and I'm, my panic meter is dropping even with a loss there. I agree. Yeah, eighteen turnovers against Phoenix. Uh, sorry, twenty seven against Phoenix. There was eighteen and seventeen in the other two games. So, yeah, if they can clean that up and play some promising defense with uh, nice effort and the guys at least looking like they're they're enjoying playing out there and have some promise, I totally agree with you. This, this could be a loss to Denver, and I could still come away feeling a lot better than I have. But that's uh, I think that's all I got. Is there anything else you feel like you want to throw in here, Rich? That's it, man. Yeah, thank you to everybody. Better days. Seriously. Yep. Thanks to everybody for listening. And uh, if you have any questions that you'd like to hear us answer, you can direct them towards us at Twitter, or we are the official podcast of the King's subreddit. There will be a thread sticky to the top of there, and we'll be answering those questions regularly. But thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast, and you will hear from us again in the next couple days.